This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Hello, everyone. This is episode 94 of the Travel Writing World podcast. I'm back from Bolivia and Peru. Everything was wonderful, but I'm also glad to be home. It's warm here in Florida, and the cicadas are singing outside, though you might not be able to hear them. For those who joined my newsletter experiment called 30 Days in the Andes, thank you. And thanks for your comments and notes of encouragement along the way. I've already begun the process of editing and compiling my photos and notes into what I hope to become a book, so more on that later. Anyway, joining me today is Bill Colgrave, and we're talking about his book, Scraps of Wool, which is a collection of passages from some of the world's best-known works of travel literature. As you'll hear in the interview, Bill recorded interviews of his own with people like Tony Wheeler, the late Alexander Freiter, Sarah Wheeler, and Michelle Yanachan a few years back. And Bill has kindly agreed to broadcast these interviews on Travel Writing World. So, for the next four episodes after today's, we'll publish Bill's interviews. Anyway, before we start the episode today, just a note to say, please tell your friends about the podcast, leave a review on the Apple Podcast app or whichever podcasting app you use, and support the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com forward slash support. Lastly, to stay up to date with travel, nature, and place writing news, join the hundreds of other subscribers and sign up for Genius Loci, my free monthly email roundup of news and links at jeremybassetti.com. That's with two S's and two T's. A new roundup goes out on the first of the month. So now, here is Bill Colgrave. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be with you today. Now, you are the author and editor of this wonderful book uh, that you sent me called Scraps of Wool, which is an anthology of passages from some of the world's most celebrated travel writers uh, organized thematically. And I'm really eager to dig into this book with you. Um, but before we do that. Uh, let's start by talking about your bona fides, so to speak. Uh, I know you published travel guides uh, for quite some time, and you also authored a, a travel book about the mountains of, Af of Afghanistan. So can you tell us uh, about yourself and uh, what your history with the genre of travel literature is? Uh, I was in the financing business, and I sold a company and uh, had a bit of time on my hands. And I Somebody, I met somebody at breakfast one day and he said, what do you want to do now? And I said, the one thing I've always wanted to do was to own a travel publishing company. And he said to me, well, I've got one for sale. And uh, uh, two days later, I bought it and it was the Cadogan Travel Guides. And they were much the most sophisticated in literary terms of the, of, of the guides. Um, 
but not at all illustrated. They were pretty much all text. And it was a very successful, very highly regarded business. And uh, although we held on to it for about 10 years, we merged it with the Everyman Travel and Everyman's Library. Mm -hmm. And it was eventually sold um, to an American company about 20 years ago at a bad time, I think, for them um, because the internet and things got, uh, took a lot of that lot of that market away, um, but it was a it was a, an ambition achieved for me, and I I loved owning it, and I loved the uh, the, the work involved. Mm-hmm. Then a little bit later than uh, later, um, I uh, I have always had a fascination with um, with Central Asia, and particularly with the Oxus River, and I decided to go to. Um, uh, after Afghanistan became a little bit easier for a few years, um, the uh, in the first part of, of the 21st century, um, I went over to uh, the Pamir Mountains of Afghanistan to try and search for the source of the River Oxus, um, which had been the source had been found by um, George Curzon. In who later became Viceroy of India in 1892. And he he published a book about it and did a whole series of lecture tours, um, establishing himself as the found, as the discoverer of the source of the Great Oxus River, which really divides Central Asia from India and Pakistan and Afghanistan. And I went to sit to find the source that he had found, because as far as I know, I knew then it hadn't been visited since and um i discovered that it probably wasn't the source and then wrote that book um uh, halfway house to heaven which was really a description of why it wasn't really the source and and what indeed was the source um and that was about uh, 8 years ago yeah that's interesting uh, something that you mentioned about the travel guides that you previously published um you 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 mentioned that uh it they were sophisticated out of the in, in literary terms out of all of the guides um and didn't have a lot of images i was wondering if you could um kind of unpack that a little bit what, what do you mean by sophisticated uh, uh the most well they were they, they were text only really okay. i mean they had um drawings as illustrations but not mm-hmm. they weren't the very um highly illustrated guides that then became popular, like Insight and Dorling Kindersley. Um, so we tended to get very good writers who, te- who went on to write bigger and better things. Um, and they're still, they're still referred to as, as the, the finest literary companions to, um, to, in, to in all the guidebook series, I think. Everyone or many people recognise that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So... After Halfway House to Heaven, your book about Afghanistan, Afghanistan and the Oxus River, um, you spent some time putting together this anthology. I don't know if that's the right word, but this this book uh, called Scraps of Wool. And um, its title is a quote that you got from Jonathan Rabin's book, For Love and Money. So I was wondering if you could um, kind of tell us or introduce to us uh, what Scraps of Wool is um, and maybe um, if you're up to it. A little bit about this term, scraps of wool, and what that means um, in terms of travel travel writing. Oh yeah, well, well the, <clears throat> the the expression scraps of wool comes, in, uh, as you rightly say, from a from a, um, a, a Jonathan Raven quote, um, which was quoted on one of your recent 
podcast that I was listening to, Jeremy, when you were talking to my my very good friend, Artemis Cooper. And she and I travelled mm-hmm. across the, the Sahara together about 30 years ago. And I was having lunch with her one day and talking to her about this book. And she quoted the same thing that she quoted to you, um, which I think the line is that the uh, he, he, what he was saying was that a... Um, a travel narrative, if it was just a story or just the narrative of what one did in the way of diary or something like that, would be much too boring. And travel writing is really like collecting scraps of wool from a barbed wire fence and spinning it and weaving it into the fiction of a book. And he does use the word fiction, I think. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, uh, uh, and we both loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to call, call it that. It doesn't, doesn't mean a huge amount to people until they look into it and see where it came from. Mm-hmm. And, and so this book is kind of like that in, in the sense that there are scraps or excerpts or passages, extracts from um, some of the most celebrated travel writers of of our age, really, of yeah. of, of all yeah. time, and it's not really an anthology. Mm-hmm. I mean, because an anthology tends to to take a bit of everybody and and try and give ev- everybody um, like a like a dictionary, um, and you can see a little bit of everybody's writing, and it goes forward chrono- chronologically or something like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted really to take. Um, the the, fi- the the writers that I admired and loved, uh, put them all in one book, celebrate them together. And I wanted to do it um, thematically rather than chronologically or alphabetically, um, bringing together different aspects of, of travel writing. And um, and I think it works works quite well do, doing that. It gives, gives people a, a, re- a continuity of read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when I first held the book, I was a bit intimidated because it is a pretty big book, you know, and I was and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, here we're going to read these passages. But, you know, there are so many passages in here um, that each one is not very long. And for someone to dip in and dip out and, 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 to, and to read kind of these kind of like important moments in travel literature is is not an intimidating or a daunting thing to do, which is one of the virtues and great pleasures of this book. And what, what I love about this is, you know, here's our uh, bibliophilia coming out is that, uh, you know, you have this little uh, ribbon in here in, in the book where you can, <laughs> you know, you can uh, keep track of where you left off and, and, and continue. So I, I appreciate those, those uh, fine touches, but you mentioned here chronology and, and themes and some of the themes that you selected in this, in this book, uh, again, another, you know, virtue of this book are, are, are themes or I don't know, maybe tropes in the genre of travel literature, like, um, like a young adult's inspiration to travel, right. Or, you know, the urge to travel alone, or, uh, as I hope we'll talk about, you know, the, the moment that someone falls in love with travel and adventure. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about these themes and, um, how did you put them together? Like, how did you pick which themes to focus on? Well, uh, I got the idea from, odd enough, there was a very successful bookshop in Oxford. And they, the guy who ran that told me that when they stopped showing all their books, A to Z, 
crime here, travel there, um, A to Z of authors and 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 chronological history, and instead started doing it thematically. And they found people stay spent far longer in the in in the bookshop. Hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to try that system. So um, I wanted to um, I wanted to have a big chapter on the the group that I thought were the were the really finest, most memorable travel writers in purely literary terms. Um, and then I had um and sections, for example, on people writing about Afghanistan. I find that um there are, are two or three countries in the world, Greece, Afghanistan, certainly outstanding, which attract travel writers like no other countries. So, I, so it was good to, to put them together. There was a group, for example, of Americans leaving America for the first time. Um, that was that tended to be 19th and, and 20th century writers. But as a, as a group, they're slightly different from the Europeans for whom leaving their home country was 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 a little bit easier. Then there were sections about Italy, because it because again, Italy is such a magnet for great travel writing. Um, and then various other sections where it was interesting to see see the writers together, the humorous writers, um, the African writers, and a few stories that go that, that go nicely together. Um, and then one or two which were which were pure explorers type stories. Now the bit that you're referring to, I think, is the is is what we call is is our chapter three, which is in, which is titled "Our Feeble Hearts Could Not Stand More," which is a quotation from a young Swiss traveller in 1952, and they talk those. Those sections are, are bringing together writers that are telling the people about that piquant moment, that moment, sometimes I call it a, 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 a tightness in the chest moment, when one is suddenly struck by the sheer pleasure of being where one is. And, it's, and it comes unexpectedly. And it's such an exciting thing when it happens. I think some of us, some of us know that. Some of us mm -hmm. may not have ever had that excitement. For, but for travellers uh, like these writers, and indeed myself, it's something which is really memorable. Just comes for a moment. And I love to record that um, all in one group, and that's our chapter three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wrote that uh, line down that you uh, that you write in the introduction. You say those feeling in the chest events <laughs> i think that puts it <laughs> puts it nicely because um as as we read in in the excerpts here that the, the writers have a hard time experiencing or articulating this very common experiences this very common experience that travelers feel it's like that mystical and magical experience that one feels in the body and in the spirit right they they talk about it in these terms that heightened like sensory and emotional state uh that that travel and like this idea of being abroad can elicit right it's like falling yeah. in love with the world and I, we've all had these and i think that's what you know draws us to these sections in in in, in the book right <laughs> it's great uh, you you mentioned this in, in the introduction i was just curious if you can recount this um you know this feeling in the chest event um Tell me about yours. When did you fall in love with the world and 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 abroad? 
Um, with the, I would, my first, I think my first moment, because when I was born, I was born soon after the Second World War. We didn't, in Britain, we weren't able to travel at all. You know, by the time I was 15, I had probably been to France to go skiing and mm -hmm. maybe France to go on a beach holiday. But otherwise, I hadn't really um, travelled outside the country. Well, most of them, the current generation of 15-year-olds have probably been to 10 countries by EasyJet right. um, by, by then. So it was exciting. When I, I remember going across the channel, we used to go, the, the method of going across the channel was to drive your car onto a little aeroplane. I promise you, five cars on the aeroplane and a 10-minute hop across the channel. You drive, drove your car off at the other side and you were in France. And when I just remember the first sort of cup of coffee on a, in a cafe on the side. But the So by the time I was, when I was 15, my father took me on a, an ocean liner from London uh, via Gibraltar, Marseille, uh, Italy, through the Straits of Messina, past uh, Stromboli, which was the volcano, which was burning bright at night, and then to the Suez Canal. And we went to Cairo. And, and I remember I went to a hotel. I was kneeling on the, on the windowsill of the hotel at two o'clock in the morning, watching people trading, a market taking place, people talking to each other, things going on all night. And that was such an excitement to me as sort of uh, uh, um, a parochial boy from Sussex who'd never been out, out of, realistically, I mean, never been out, certainly out of Europe. It was a moment when I said, this, this is where I should be. Mm -hmm. And a couple of days later, we were in Aden again, walking at that stage, Aden was a sort of, uh, actually, it was <clears throat> it was a war zone, much as it, as it is now. And so, my I think yes, my first great moment of uh, of that was there. And then again, I took a trip across the Sahara, actually with Artemis that we mentioned before, and we travelled three or four days south of of Algiers on two Land Rovers and went off the main route and found a house which few people knew existed, which actually belonged um, historically to a remarkable lady called Aurelie Picard, who'd married a Bedou chieftain. And she built this house around the Bedou chieftain's grave. And there was just one ash tree growing out of, out of where his, his grave was. And I remember walking away from there and it was actually a dull day. It even started to rain. It wasn't even very attractive area. But at that moment, I just felt, hooray, hooray to be here. And a few others, I've had a few others since then. And I just wanted to record in the book uh, some other people's great moments like that, because there's a sort of fellow feeling between us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. It's, you know, these moments in travel that, uh, you know, people never forget. And, and the way that you describe it, your experiences seems similar to the ways in which the people in chapter three describe their own. Um, stri what's striking to me is that, you know, they all refer to this as some sort of happiness or um, some sort of joy. But some of the writers check themselves and, you know, describe it. They say, wait a second, 
hold on, it's more than just happiness, they say. They, they, they speak about it as a sublime bliss or as a life force or a spiritual energy that compels them on to radically change, you know, change the way that they see the world and live their lives. And it's so powerful, this experience, that you can never forget it. You're right. Yes. I mean, that, the, that comes from this guy, Nicolas Bouvier, mm-hmm. um, who was Swiss, um, and he was going on a sort of um, a gap year as an 18-year-old from Switzerland, um, but a gap year in 1952 was rather different and drove from Switzerland through uh, through the Alps. And we catch up with him when he's somewhere in eastern Turkey. And and, and he writes the, the, the beautiful words that, that gave me the title to the chapter. Um, you stretch... You stretch, pace to and fro, feeling weightless, and the word happiness seems too thin and limited to describe what is happening to you. In the end, the bedrock of existence is not made up of family or work or what others think of you, but of moments like this, when you are exalted by a transcendent power which is more serene than love. Life dispenses them parsimoniously because our feeble hearts could not stand more. Isn't that beautiful? Love that. The word happiness is too thin and limited. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, that's a young guy. But the, the other examples I've got there, John Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Steinbeck, you know, the author of Grapes of Wrath, and, the, and the, at, um, at near the end of his life, I think, he went traveling around America and wrote his 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 book travels with charlie and 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 describing that feeling that he couldn't get away with away from the excitement the um <clears throat> the thrill when he hears the, the the clop of a horse or the or the whistle of a of a boat um and uh, <clears throat> so it's a it is it's not something which is just for the young it gets repeated repeated all through life if we're lucky mm-hmm and another uh, line from that Steinbeck excerpt that is just a treasure is where he talks about you know the joys of travel, the happinesses from the happiness of travel and the joys of travel come from letting go and being at the whim of outside forces and 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 being at the mercy of of others in in travel experience. That is what brings one happiness. And the great line. Here that Steinbeck says it's he says that <laughs> um, you know a, a travel traveling or a journey is is a little bit like a, a marriage. He, he says uh, you would be wrong if you think you could if you if you think you could control it. <laughs> oh yeah, you're making a mistake if you think you control. Yes, 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 I think you've chosen you've chosen you've chosen well there. And that one that is followed by Henry Miller. I mean Henry Miller mm-hmm. when I was a a kid at school, we weren't allowed Henry Miller's books because they were too sexy. Tropic of Capricorn and Tropic of Cancer. They were that of, I mean, so was Ian Fleming for that for that matter. And here is Henry Miller. I mean, he's one of his least known books to the general public, but best known to us travellers. His book, The Colossus of Marusi, and that is about the young Henry Miller coming, who's lived in in Paris for a while, where he was. Uh, having an affair with Anais Din, who I think um, 
probably financed his first two books. And he leaves to go to Greece. And that book is about a young man falling in love with a country. I mean, it is, you can't put it better than that. It is just the excitement of being there, something he'd never come across, never expected. And it is, there is no finer book um, where somebody has just discovered a new place or a new country. Mm -hmm. Christ, I was happy, he says, which is a lovely, uh, (laughs) which is a lovely kind of brute, uh, brute expression here. Um, I'm sure we could uh, talk about these all day. Um, but I wanted to um, uh, move along here and uh, talk about something else that you did related to to this book, something else that's quite fascinating. As I understand it, um, you recorded some interviews with travel writers about their work some time ago, interviews that you hoped to use to start your own podcast about travel r- literature. Is that right? Yes, I did. I did a few as a sort of as a promotion for um, for scraps of wool. Yes, indeed, um, with various friends of mine, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm continuing continuing them. And I think we're going to work together on them now. Right. So we had the you and I had the pleasure to meet in London uh, back in March, and we've been talking about uh, publishing your interviews on this podcast, Travel Writing World. So yeah. um, I'm I'm thrilled to to share your interviews with uh the listeners of this podcast i I think they're great they're professionally recorded and they're and they're well done and i am quite sure that listeners um of this podcast would appreciate hearing them i was wondering if you could perhaps um tell us about these four just very briefly uh, about these four interviews that uh we're lining up to, to publish on travel writing world sure um the first one I did was with my old friend Tony Wheeler, who was created the Lonely Planet series, um, and we talked about how uh, he travelled from um, Ireland to eventually to Australia and wrote with his wife Maureen their very first book. Um, and um, but the, most of the of of the podcast is discussing his travel rather than than publishing and things like that and, and our joint interest in the in the many places that we're, that we've been and we were able to compare with each other and uh, so that's just two traveling friends talking together um secondly there was alexander freighter and alexander um who died um about a year ago was the uh, chief travel uh, editor for the London newspaper, The Observer. And it was his job to um, uh, find writers for, 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 the, for the, the Sunday newspaper. So he was finding himself commissioning um, Chatwin, Lee Fermer, and all sorts of others. And they were all good friends of his. So, so that, it was interesting to talk about that with him, but also to talk about him, him, and he was born um, in the Pacific Islands and then went to Australia, he's a native half Australian, and then came and took up that, that great job in London, uh, but was wrote his own travel books. His, his um, most interesting one for me was one called Chasing the Monsoon about India, where he sought to find the wettest place in the world. And I remember he, he, he said he's going towards this unpronounceable place in the north of Assam um, in uh, eastern India. And uh, he says to somebody, I'm going there. Oh, they said, you... you um, uh, you'll find it very wet there. He said, 
Yes, I mean, I'm told that two metres of rain has fallen in the last last week. Oh, he said, that's just the beginning. <laughs> and uh, uh, so he and he wrote that book and then several on, on um, uh, uh, flying. And um, he, he's the most entertaining man to talk to. Next, there was um, Sarah Wheeler, who I went, who I won't say much about because your listeners may know her. You've already done a um, a podcast with with Sarah. She wrote for us at Cadogan Guide, so I knew her well. She did the um, Antarctica books and has been a friend of mine for a long time. And fourth in that list was my good friend Michelle Yana Chan, who's now the um, travel editor of Vanity Fair. She was then the travel editor for um, Vogue or Tatler, and she's a wonderful journalist. Mm -hmm. uh, she's just written her first novel called Song, but she is a marvellous journalist. She had a, um, a, a monthly column which just said, where I wish I was now, um, which really enabled her to write about anywhere she wanted in the world. And I sat and listened to her teaching travel writing, and it's most instructive. She manages to get so much information into each sentence. I think you'll enjoy listening to her. And I have a few others lined up. Sadly not um, the lovely Dervla Murphy, who, who died two, two days ago. Right. was an inspiration for so many of us. We are recording this at the end of May. This episode will likely go out sometime in August. Uh, but yeah, news just broke uh, recently about her passing, and uh, I mean the the internet went you know it's is a wash with tributes to to Dervla and how you know marvelous of a person uh, she was, her life and her career. She called me Dervla, and um, no, I was talking to her on the telephone in March, uh, late March, twenty twenty. And she said, right, Bill, you're going to come to Lismore. That's where she lived, lived. And we will share Guinness together in the, in, uh, and we will talk. And of course, two days later, lockdown arrived. So we had to delay it. Then last July, we were in contact again. And she said, all right, next week. And then she calls up and said, I've just had a small stroke. So twice it got deferred. And I've never been there, so I've still never met her. But she does come right at the front on the very first page of almost the first page of Scraps of Wool, right. which is her wonderful moment when she records having been given on her ninth birthday. I think it was an atlas and a bicycle. And she says she went out with her atlas and her bicycle and she she remembers the very spot and the very moment when she decided that she would bicycle from Ireland to Delhi. And that was when she was nine years old. And it was, in fact, when she was 31 that she actually did it. Uh, so it took her a long time before she actually got moved, but she did it. She set off actually from Dunkirk and bicycled all the way to Delhi. Mm. Lost, uh, lost one of the greats uh, recently, um, but uh, yeah, I recommend uh, people to you know pick up scraps of wool. Certainly read that passage, but also um, you know just to have as a kind of a reference guide or 
you know, as a, as a source of inspiration um, for for writing and, and for travel. So we're running uh, a little bit out of time now. So, Bill, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I'm excited to um, publish over the next four episodes uh, your interviews with Tony, Alexander, Sarah and Michelle. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, it's always nice to talk to Jeremy. So good luck and carry on the excellent work of Travel Writing World. You can find the episode show notes and much more at TravelWritingWorld.com. Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at TravelWritingWorld.com support. <laughs>